listening to Riffs and Scripts. This is the show where two creatives get down and chat about the differences and similarities in their respective fields. My name's Cole. I'm a singer and band manager. My name's Amber. I'm a professional actor. And we are here to talk about our creative careers and the things that we have in common, the things that are different, the things that lots of people don't really talk about in show business. La da da! Exactly that. <laughs> So we have decided the first topic we're going to talk about is venues. As an actor, you move around, you go on tours, you go to festivals and you go to lots of different venues. And of course, as a musician and as a band, Cole. Yeah, we we go all over the country and further. We have done gigs abroad in the past. I think one of the interesting things that we'll be talking about is how, in my case, I'm pretty much looking for the same thing. I'm, I'm playing the same act everywhere I go whereas you'll be doing completely different acts almost different things every time I think also one of the reasons we're we're doing this podcast is to talk about being in this middle ground where you and I are both at a stage where we are still finding our own venues we've not got someone doing it for us so there's a lot of experience there and a lot to talk about I'd like to ask you about how you go about finding venues um, for shows that you're in it completely depends on, on the goal of the show. Sometimes people love to be part of a specific festival and they'll take a venue that's linked to that. I'm actually um, in the early days of producing a play now that my friend wrote and he wants a very unconventional venue. Um, and in the ideal world, we'd find a venue with an atmosphere that matches so well that we don't actually even have to dress it. But then when you're doing fringe work, for example, people are just happy to have a blank canvas, as it were. So I've worked in a lot of of black box theatres where everything is vinyl. They set up some chairs, but you can add to that and you can make what you like out of it. So there are pros and cons in, in different ways. Things to bear in mind, capacity versus your budget. Um, again, this was a conversation I had with this um, this writer-director friend where he said he only wanted a certain amount of chairs. And I said, look, if you sell out, you're making a loss that way. So you need to think about capacity to budget. Um, you need to think about your audience because... It's not like a gig. They sit there and they listen. And I actually, I did a show. No one listens at my gigs, to be fair. (laughs) I did a show once where my agent came to watch and she left during the interval because it was too hot and she was dying. And she was like, I'm really sorry, I had to leave. You've got to think about all these things, time of year, whatever. So I'm doing an unconventional show at the moment where we want it to be very rustic and bricky. But also if it's going to be winter... We need to warm that place up. You can't, you know, things like that. You have to you have to take into account an audience. They have to sit there for however long it is. But also, do you want rigging? Do you want set? Do you want, you know, there's all sorts. I have a hilarious story about heat in a venue, by the way. Wonderful. Do you want to hear my hilarious I, story about heat? Always. On our first EP launch, we had a bass player. We did the gig on, I think, the third hottest day of the year. We did this whole intro as like, you know, I walk on with a gazelle skull up in the air like and it looks really cool and then we do this thing and then our intro used to start with our drummer doing this awesome fill that he used to do on that night immediately bass amp goes down because it's overheated he was like looking over going where's the bass where's the bass so luke's thrashing away his drum kit and i was just like i walk up and just go wiggle my finger i'm going just keep it going keep it going you know (laughs) he ends up just doing a drum solo at the start of a show 
on our EP launch, which is the most significant kind of gig that you can do to do with an album. You do yeah, you do okay. an album cycle or a record cycle, an EP yeah. cycle. And the idea is you release an EP, you do your EP launch, then you do a, a succession of shows after that. But the EP launch is the big one. That's where you make all your money. That's where you do your best performance of that. It's got to be I think I've been to those for other bands. Yeah. Te- technical fuck-ups are just your bread and butter you have to as a performer you have to um completely accommodate them i, I imagine uh you know someone who's working from a script that's a lot more difficult in some ways because for me it's about being instantly charismatic and just winning people over and you say pretty much whatever comes into your head i like i have Gloves no script off. i have no script i just i'm working a crowd right yeah and um if something goes wrong i can literally tell everyone that's gone wrong but you just it's eddie Izzard says you know 20 percent what you say 80 percent how you say it right yeah so ladies and gentlemen we've had a serious uh technological fuck up very meisner what he just said whether he realizes it or not little joke for the drama students out there cool meisner acting well the interesting things about being um a band member is that people follow you around I imagine people follow. I know people follow actors around because they're interested in the actors themselves. But specifically, you're selling yourself. You're not selling a character or a piece so much. Or people will follow a theatre company around in the same as if they're the band kind of thing. Yeah. So even though the shows are different, the actors might be different. You know that company are really good for feminist mm. theatre, or you know that company are really mm. good for period dramas, or you know that company are really funny, mm. and they a company a, a theatre group will have the brand, yeah. and that kind of gets followed around. Yeah, I think it's one of the reasons why so many uh, lead singers, particularly have and frontmen, have kind of personal crises about identity because you're kind of connecting on an individual level as yourself or, you know, a kind of uh, the outward kind of um, projection of yourself that you're putting to people. So if something goes wrong, as a front man, you have to own it. And actually, it's nothing to do with, with guitarists and bassists. They can just kind of get on with doing something. I'm standing there at the front on my own, as, as I see it, kind of against however many hundreds of people. Yeah, you're right. Because when you're the actor, you're not allowed to do that. You don't have permission to break character and play off it for almost any other job you just don't have permission to a really funny one this wasn't a show I did but it was such a good example I went and saw uh, nearly 10 years ago now when Mother Courage and her children was at the National it had Fiona Shaw in it who's Aunt Petunia fantastic actress there was a band on stage and I'd seen it once already and there's like a tent it's based during a war there's a tent on the stage and there's a really cool bit where the front wall of the tent drops and the band are there and they go into a song I'd seen it once already so I clocked this mistake I then took my friend to see it and the drop didn't happen so the band were just playing from behind from behind this drop and everyone just had you have to keep going so similarly if someone else was to come to you and say, Cole, I'm starting up a band. We want to plan a really good gig. What's one piece of advice you can give me? That's actually a really hard question. The reason is that most gigs go through promoters. So you don't book your own venues generally. And promoters are sometimes associated with a particular venue. So a venue will have an in-house promoter as they'll have an in-house sound engineer, right? Um, if they don't, that's usually a huge warning sign. You want to go somewhere that has an in-house sound engineer. And mm. the trick is actually being connected with promoters so it's really about connectivity now that's not to say i don't do shows where we book themselves in fact towards the end of last year we decided that we were going to use promoters less and less interestingly the role of the promoters kind of changed because they can't necessarily do much that you can't actually do yourselves anymore Mm. because the nature of promotion has changed it used to be whacking up loads of posters was great now posters is still great 
um, and you put them in the right places and people will see stuff and they will go. But it's, it's nothing compared to the power of social media. Back in the 70s, that's what people would do, is yeah. they've got loads of posters, they've got a massive paintbrush with glue, yep. and they just painted them to the side of buildings and ran if the police came. And that was exactly. the equivalent of putting it on Twitter yeah, <laughs> back exactly. in the day. Yeah. Now, you're better at using uh, the connectivity of social media to um, do it yourself. Bands don't have that much time, because they've all got day jobs. Even bands that you wouldn't think that are at a certain level, probably some of your favourite bands will have day jobs. Loads of them are uh, working in music or outside of it, but you know, you don't really have time all the time to sit down and run a social media page, run a social media campaign. So one of the reasons why promoters are still used is because they have access to a pool of fans who they already have connectivity with. We're kind of changing our model a bit. We're going to be doing more of the self-promotion stuff in the future. What you want is the right size venue and a venue that you can afford. Yeah, yeah, I can relate to that. I can relate to that so much. (laughs) You know, don't be scared to do small venues because... A lot of people out of ego buy out a big venue. I knew a band who did, who were like a kind of similar size to us mm. and had a similar kind of size of following to us mm. who did a show at the O2 Academy in Oxford. Now, I know how much that costs and it costs five times as much as the venue down the road, the Bullingdon, right? Yeah. Now, the Bullingdon's a smaller space, but when you get 350 people in the Bullingdon, that is a vibe. And it's all about creating a vibe. As, as it's a an incredible atmosphere. Yeah, absolutely. What is a venue that you're just like, oh, I have to perform there someday? Oh, my God. Okay, so one of them is the Royal Albert Hall. 100%. I totally um, agree with you. Now, here's one of, the th- one of the things about that. Apparently, the sound isn't great for bands in the Royal Albert Hall because it's designed for choral stuff and it's kind of all everywhere and, yeah. and, and, and it reverberates loads. Now, that can be great. I, I, I'm not an expert on this. It's just what I've heard through some other people, right? Yeah. It's probably nonsense, but I've heard that. The reason I want to do it is, one, it's the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah. Um, two, uh, it's where my granddad wanted to see me play, and he's he's not with us anymore. But he said one day you'll be on the Royal Albert Hall, and I was like, so there's that little like, so there's a little mm, bit of a personal thing. thing. Yeah, yeah. There's, sure. there's a couple of others. Um, I don't know if it's still called this, but Hammersmith, Hammersmith Apollo is one that I've always wanted. Yeah, to play it's still at. called that. Venues just closed down left, right, and centre. <laughs> yeah, they're they're all they're all gone. Like eighty percent of venues are gone. I I have played so many venues that no longer exist. They're is a list of off West End venues that is almost like a rite of passage that you perform there yep. and they're not going anywhere. There's one we did, the London preview of Sweeney Todd there, right after we met. I'm going to be there with Medusa again this year and it's called The Cockpit. Any actor at my level, any actor that's been on the Fringe Network for more than a couple of years in London knows what The Cockpit is. I mean, this is where like two years later, it sh- I'd, be so ups- I'd be so upset if after this goes out, the cockpit says that they're closing. Oh my God, can you imagine? But there is, there's all, it's, not out of, it's not even out of loyalty. I think it's out of knowing that it's there, knowing that you can make it work as a fringe company, which by the way, isn't an insult to be a fringe company. You can be a fringe company and still make a little bit of money. You can make no money and still be a fantastic company. But the fact of the matter is we need off West End venues. London's an interesting thing for bands. Obviously, everywhere else is smaller, except like I mean, even Manchester is smaller, obviously. But yeah, Manchester yeah, is yeah. the big, the big northern city, and London is. is the big city, but it's located in the south. Also, Manchester has got like a culture; it's got a gig culture. Yeah, Manchester love a good gig. London's weird because every other venue in the country, pretty much, generally is there because I specifically want to go and see this band. The ones that work in London get foot traffic from random passers-by. Now it's great to get those people in, but usually they're not active gig goers; they're there for a Friday, Saturday night piss up basically 
London's really hard to get into because you just need to know a promoter who goes yeah. to the right venues. Now, I've done gigs at the 100 Club. I've done gigs uh, at a place that used to be called the Alley Cat, which is a fun little venue because it's kind of a tiny little shoebox in the middle of nowhere, you know. Up until recently, did gigs at the Big Red, which was one of my favourite venues in London. Love the Big Red. Um, Popular venue. It, it, is, it, was, it was a great shocking venue. when it closed. And, and it closes down and gets turned to a bar immediately. And what the well, story is that it closes down, turn it into a bar, or closes down, turn it into flats. That's what happened in most venues that, that close down. There's also some things about playing in London with London bands, which is very different to the rest of the UK. In London, it's a friggin' nightmare to lug your gear everywhere. All right? I can imagine. You can't park most places. It's a whole it's a whole shebang with London bands wanting to use your stuff if you're from outside of London. And it's like a common joke that that we have really? in a band. Yeah. But there's a thing. When we get booked for a London gig, we see there's like four bands on the bill and we're the band who are from out of town. We have good gear because we it's really important to us that we sound great and it's reliable and everything every time, right? Of course. So we kind of have a joke, me and Nath, how long is it going to be before someone asks to use it, use our stuff, right? So wow. there's some things that there's an expectation of sharing. So drum shells, there is an expectation that there will be a house kit and everyone will pretty much use the same kit and then they'll bring their own breakables. Also, changeovers are a huge deal yep. in bands. You yep. have approximately 15 to 20 minutes on any given time. It's rare to get longer than that. Things like cabs are also an expectation. So you guys won't know necessarily if you're listening and you're part of the acting world and you're not part of the music world, but generally with guitars and basses, you have an amp head, which is the actual amplifier itself, and it goes through a speaker cabinet. So the anticipation is that most people will share cabs. Usually they'll be house cabs. Often they're crap. You want to bring your own ones. As an out-of-town band, you come in with a big van of stuff and you just load it all out. And everyone's right? like, <gasps> oh, can I use, can we use can this? <laughs> I can just picture like a load of like a little band from Camden who think that they're all time low with their fringes and their skinny jeans and their little bass guitars. Be like, hey, man, can we can we use that? Every gig in London is like that. <laughs> I, I turn up. I can see it. I can I see it. I turn up. There have been so many times where I've been standing by the door and I see these guys rock up with their shades on when it's too dark to need shades, with their leather jackets, with their cowboy boots, rocking up with barely any gear. And then you know they're going to be like, hey man, your amp looks really good. I've always wanted, can I, can I play with it? No, no, you, no, no, you no, can't. you fucking can't. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, the laugh. But, uh, that's that's a common thing with London bands. There's a thing about lead singers because so lead singers are basically actors, right? They're, they're actors and performers what? in a way. No, they're actors no, and performers yeah. in a way that guitarists and, and and yeah, they're the front man. It's yeah. all about charisma and everything, right? So so why do you? There's do a it? joke. Oh! <laughs> she went okay. there. Okay, so Carry thank on. you for that. Um, <laughs> cheers, mate. I realise I have ranted for ages. Let's ask, ask me a question. a question. Ask me something. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask you about mishaps. because we're all used to technical fuck-ups but for you guys it must be intense because we were talking earlier about how my role is called more kind of fluid yeah in that sense tell me about that when we were doing sweeney todd the company i worked for so it's called ethereal theater and they are fantastic at taking musicals and staging them in in an unconventional way so they'll take a musical that isn't really a movement dance musical and make it a movement dance musical and they did that with sweeney todd it was Awesome. So the way that they staged it, because again, they're having to work with fringe venues and a fringe budget, just to be really, really honest, um, was half the stage was was downstairs at the pie shop. Half the stage was upstairs in the barbers. And what we would do is we'd exit 
one heart behind the curtain one side and come back on and go all the way around the curtain behind the curtain on the other side and now we're upstairs and they used lighting to do that and you know what they just told us if you do not stand in the right place you are not lit and there was a bit where I got onto I got onto like a platform holding a pie and I get I get turned and I I start facing the back and as I get turned and face the front I realize I'm not in my spotlight which isn't my choice I've just got to stand on this platform the people moving it it's up to them to make sure it's in the spotlight it happens but I just remember being stood on this platform holding this pie up in that cute little waitress way just leaning desperately to the side to try and at least get part of me lit i was like please this is my solo this is oh, my solo it's, it's, it's my bit it's it's my bit put me in the in the light put me in the light, in the light. You dicks, <laughs> you, <Yeah>. you dicks. <laughs> one thing that when you're first trying to make your own theater you just cannot prepare yourself for is mics because oh God, yeah. actors mics again they cannot stand there and hold the mic in front of their faces, okay? Like, we have to f- we have to get ones that can sit on us, we have to get ones we can hide in our hair, anything yeah. along those. Backstage of Sweeney, we had really not very much space at the cockpit because of other stuff back there. Two people's mics got hooked around each other Ooh. and like yanked off. It was That's crazy. Um, and they cost so much money. Yeah. Theatre needs to be cheap and accessible. When you make cheap theatre, you can do, you can you can source, beg, borrow and steal costumes or make costumes and set. You cannot do that with mics. Mm. And if you want to do a musical, if you want to do something with live music, which I've done multiple times, yeah. the mics are so necessary. And the amount of stresses we've had around it where we've got 20 minutes between getting yep. into the venue and curtain up and we're having to test all the soloists' mics. It's I feel so bad for actors when they're trying to sing against a band because you fuck up your voice yeah well Mike's an interesting thing which actually um, a lot of you people who are trying to get into music uh, will mm. probably need to know actually um, most venues will have their own house mics they will tend to be SM58s which is Shaw SM58s Shaw Microphone 58s which is the standard microphone uh, I think I'm currently talking through a kind of copy of an SM58. Okay, so it's so if I, if we said to you, if we like if a microphone on a stand, whatever you're picturing, usually is, is, you're is, picturing is, an SM58. Right. Okay. Cool. Whereas so, actors don't use those. No. Very so, rarely. Um, no, you 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 need discreet discreet um, Britney mics. As it yeah, called. Britney mics, um, basically. Britney yeah. His thing. If you're a singer in a band, get your own mic. Right, so Amber is currently talking through my live mic, which is an 87B, a Shaw 87B. Hello. Um, it's actually designed for women, but because I sing loads of high stuff, it gets all that crisp kind of high, high bits. How is a mic designed for women? What does that mean? Okay, so they have different EQ profiles, right? So typically your SM58 will be very warm, um, but uh, this microphone has just a bit more of different mid-range, higher mid-range, okay. high mids. So... Um, you know, a man's voice is resonant in the lower mids. Yes. A woman's voice is going to be more resonant in uh, mids and Mid higher mids. High. So um, I use that microphone because I don't typically sing very low and I want it to be really crisp. And so with it being really crisp, I've got a mic that's actually designed for women, but I kind of, I'm singing quite high most of the time. So it really works for me because I do a lot of those big high kind of, not screams, but big high notes. Mm-hmm. You know, those kind of Rob Halford, Judas Priest, if anyone's... Yeah, familiar kind of with those. It's very um, much. First time I listened to Cole's music, I, I took my headphone out and I went, you're a fan of Iron Maiden, aren't you, mate? <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, here's the main reason why I do that. Don't want to catch herpes, don't want to catch a cold. That's why you bring your own mic. 
Fair enough. People will have a cold and they all sing into a mic. And so I realised that I need to bring my own mic, even if it's not quite as good as the house mic, because I don't want to be catching a cold off someone. Mm. And sorry to mention herpes, but that's also a thing that you can catch. <laughs> I mean, it's fat. Stay yeah. safe, kids. Yeah. Boom. So uh, another thing I wanted to ask you about was sound engineers, because I imagine <laughs> our relationship with sound engineers is a little bit different. Okay. What, what about our relationship with sound well, engineers? I mean, you know... To, uh, are they kind gentle lovers are they so, so, <laughs> no. the reason that's funny is like my boyfriend's a sound oh, engineer <laughs> and that is funny are they kind gentle lovers okay so with yeah anyway what okay so my, my relationship you better keep with that in. the sound i am i'm keeping it in <laughs> stop it okay so, <laughs> fuck you sound like if Jimmy Carr and like Noddy had a baby and that baby... Noddy Holder or Noddy as in the... The, car- the, the childhood the cartoon childhood. character. I don't know why. I just feel like your laugh suits Noddy. Did Noddy ever speak? <laughs> I don't know. It just works for me. Don't don't question it, man. Hey, Come hey, on, what were you hey, saying? Just let it flow. Just let, let, it, flow, it, just let it happen. Chill, bro. Chill, bro. Okay. Side tangent. Okay. So um, my relationship with sound engineers yes. is uh, more, they're often provided by the venue because mm-hmm. you'll typically have an in-house sound engineer. Um, or on occasion, if they don't have one or if he's busy, then the promoter will sort one out. Yeah. Um, I say he's busy, which is a rude uh, assumption based on gender, but I, I have only had, in my experience, uh, male sound engineers, which is something we spoke about in a break earlier because you had at least a couple of female ones. It's the DSM, who is the deputy stage manager, communicating with whoever runs the tech at that venue. So you've got the person at the venue who knows how their venue works, and then you've got the person who knows what our show wants. So the DSM is is the go-between between almost every everyone. They, they make the prop table. They know where all the props are. They are present in, in an ideal world every rehearsal and constantly keeping on top of what is happening on that stage so that when it's the the tech when it's the get in the dsm goes up to the tech person and goes okay so the actor's going to be here can we put a light here please and the tech person and the dsm communicate until they work it out when i was at uni there was a girl called hannah now that woman with enough <laughs> with enough gaffer tape she can do anything <laughs> well, uh, I, do you know what we should do go on is we should i'm gonna once we edit this yeah i'm gonna put some harp over it and I can talk uh, about I Hannah. I just want to say, Hannah. Uh, and we uh, both have to do that. So okay, you say okay, Hannah, okay. and then we both do okay. that. Okay. Hannah. Uh. Did you enjoy that bit of harp, people? It was listening? beautiful. Did you enjoy that? Oh, cool. Lovely cool. harp. Thank uh, you now so tell much. Me about Hannah. She was just this organised, won't take any shit kind of woman. She was one of the first ones out of us when we were all 18 to to get excited and interested by how to run the tech of a show. She was so just on it, almost in this sexy dominating way. <laughs> she was one of the most reliable people to work with and you need a really reliable DSM. So when um, I did a show at the Fortune Theatre, which on our venue topic is a great one to bring up. The Fortune Theatre is where Women in Black is on. Women in Black. Women in Black. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's very small. It's got really great acoustics for a theatre space as opposed to a gig space. The acoustics are great. We were really lucky to have it. We we did our um, showcase there at the end yeah. of our Arts Ed course. And um, day one, you always have someone who goes, right, here's where the fire exits are. Here's all the rules with the venue. Cool. 
this big, like, strong, skinhead, lovely guy, but quite masculine bloke, is having this chat with us, filling us in. And then he said, right, there are things backstage. Please don't touch them because the DSM is a very tiny woman who I'm really scared of. And if you touch that stuff, she's going to shout at me. And I remember thinking, I know exactly the kind of woman you mean, because it was Hannah. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't really Hannah. Hannah doesn't yeah, work but at it, the It was, it was, it was one was, of the many Hannahs was, of yeah, this world. They are the heroes. If you're ever worried that you're being told to do something unsafe, because directors can get a bit careless. If they go, oh, now you jump on that table... And you're, or something that makes you feel like, I don't really want to, but I'm not allowed to kick up a fuss. In that situation, make eye contact with your DSM and kind of be like, huh? and, and your DSM will kind of go, right, I have to make sure that that is safe. And yeah. the DSM is not afraid to be the bad guy. Yeah. But, and that's a beautiful thing. But because they're not afraid to be the bad guy, they will tell you off. Yeah. And just don't piss off your DSM. If I can give a theatre actor <laughs> one bit of advice, they do so much for you. Yep. <laughs> like, look after them. It's, it's, it's interesting hearing the difference because your stuff is much more high production in the sense that, you know, you have directives of what you do when and, you know, blocking, etc. But, you know, there's less of that in bands. And interestingly, people are more resistant to that when they watch bands because they feel it's kind of fake, which it isn't. It's a performance in itself, right? Yeah. Um, now, we have things that we do every show. We're very loose about everything because it's just me deciding what I want to do in the moment, really. Mm. But things about safety, you were talking about jumping on a table, things like that. Now, yeah. I jump, I jump on all... Of, when I go to a venue, the things I look at is like, uh, right, where can I jump? Any surface. <laughs> onto, where can I stand where I shouldn't really stand? You just made you me know? think of like School of Rock when Jack Black desperately wants to be crowd surfing and at the beginning everyone's just like, nah, fuck you, no one cares. Uh, thanks, thanks, <laughs> Are you that guy? <laughs> thanks for just subtly calling me desperate there. That's but... not what I said. <laughs> no, I literally... I turn off a sound check and I go, right, that'd be a good place to stand. That'd be a good place to stand. So that'd be a and good place to stand up and do anyone. a high note. You don't have someone nope. that you go, is it okay if I do this? It's better to ask forgiveness than permission. I mean, that's just not how actors are, are trained. We are, well, I they, am we not get trained. I'm just insane. Just insane. But the thing is that you know, it's the spontaneity that makes a performance so odd and unique. And yeah. when you see actors hanging from the, uh, see singers hanging from the rafters, you're into that. I never ever put anyone else in danger. So if if something's not sturdy and I'm going to be around other people, I'm not going to go up on it. My whole thing is I could put myself at risk to a limit yeah you know i'm very clumsy so i don't do things that are actually very high up and if i fell i'd actually hurt myself i don't really tend to do that no. i don't do anything where i could hurt someone because that's a horrible idea to me i did a gig at the o2 academy in oxford uh, and there's a barrier as there is a, any kind of medium to large size venue i suppose i go up to the barrier i jump off the stage go up to the barrier and so i'm seeing foot on the barrier singing like that blah, blah, blah. So uh, that, that's how I sing, by the way. That's how our entire gig sound. Um, come back off the barrier. I'm very clumsy, as I've said. My leg got caught in one of those triangular little angles and I fell back with my leg trapped, which hurt an insane amount. I was like, I wonder if that's dislocated or broken or something. Anyway, I fell over during a high note. And so I land back and I'm just going, <laughs> you know, one of, those, one of those crazy high notes, which was also, you know, kind of summoned by the agony of screwing my ankle. And I did the rest of the show just kind of hobbling. But um, start it off, mate. Start it off. I've oh. fallen over a lot during shows. It's a shows. really good question. Have I ever gotten injured on stage? I'm so sure I have. Everyone uh, was glad when I went wireless with a wireless mic. Put it that way. Fair. Because no, I'm that... I'm tripping people up. <laughs> I've nearly... I, I have literally impaled myself on the ends of guitars. 
Um, just because I'm running past someone and they step back at a moment I don't expect and that's right in my chest. So that's fun. There's this wonderful theatre in Oxford. It's Croatian theatre is what they're called. And it was that was the woman I mentioned earlier. Creation Theatre. Creation Theatre. I thought you said Croatian Theatre. Croatian Theatre. Croatian Theatre in Oxford. Yeah, a bit like Eastern Niche. Europe. A bit like, <laughs> bit like Italian. No. So they do Shakespearean what's-its. The Tempest was the one they did. In the middle, they could, were able to kind of interchange a lot of the scenes. So what they did was they got a whole audience. They, they broke us up into smaller groups and they had paths. And they would have their actors at different places on the paths. And then everyone kind of rotated around and everyone went to a different location. So everyone saw the different actors uh, interacting. And they would essentially do the same scene over and over again in front of different people because it would all rotate. It's interesting you should describe that because one of the biggest things in theatre over the recent years has been immersive theatre, which is obviously getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I remember when I was at uni, I did a summer internship with a marketing company. I remember saying to my dad, I'm telling you now, the next big thing is immersive theatre. And oh my gosh, has it exploded. So Punch Drunk is, do you know who Punch Drunk are? Dude, they are like the first big immersive theatre company. Now, this is the thing about immersive theatre and venues. It's very, very difficult to arrange because yeah. you cannot just take a thousand people and sit them in rows. No. So one of their first big shows that I was aware of was called The Drowned Man. Yeah. It made almost no profits because they could only have a certain amount of people in the building at a time. But they've created this event where there's so much going on in every room and props to look through. So they've put all this money and creative energy into transforming this huge house and they can only have 20 or 30 people in at once a really great immersive show was Alice's Adventures Underground and you went through doors and you got assigned a different card because obviously the deck of cards in Alice in Wonderland and there was so much going on and it was stunning and they were very clever because you got led around as a group and clearly to a specific time so then a different group could start yeah, 10 minutes exactly after how, you yeah. and they make more and more money so immersive theatre is a is a big one at the moment you've mm. got the Gatsby the, the immersive Great Gatsby which I went to and it was fantastic you're in a speakeasy the walls come oh, up wow. it's stunning but there's also a bar and there are times where there's no story happening you can have a drink and a dance and everyone's yeah, yeah, in yeah. costume Then, but then there are also very serious things you have to think about because for example Fright Night actors Actors who are playing zombies. I'm not going to talk about the infamous thing because I don't want to slag everyone off. But there has been an event where people are acting as zombies and the people who have come in, the audience, haven't been given clear instruction and people are getting hurt. Yeah. because and, and it needs to be handled really, really well. Yeah. So that's a big one. Oh, I have to mention this if we're talking about immersive theatre, yep. is Secret Cinema. Oh, Do you know what Secret Cinema is? No. Secret Cinema is huge, where basically it's an immersive event, but it's based around a film. So you had, and it's usually a big iconic film. So there was Secret Cinema Shawshank Redemption, where you got told how to dress and you're walking around like a prison. And there are some immersive elements, but at some point you watch the movie. I've never actually been myself, but um, they did Secret Cinema Moulin Rouge. Apparently it was fantastic. This huge event, drag queens, stunning romance and at some point in the movie like it's it's massive but um i wanted to ask you about your favorite gig venue it's got to be brixton academy oh yeah yeah. brixton academy is amazing you could be stood sat lying down in any corner of that gig and it's fantastic no matter where you are 
it's brilliant at all times you could be on barrier you could be in i think i went and saw lamb of god there when i was like 17 and i got someone's spare ticket and nobody thought i'd enjoy it because for some reason people saw me as like a bit of a kitten and we got there and i was like i don't know i don't know if this is really my thing so they all kind of went off and i got bored and i was like no i'm gonna have a good night and i just spent hours completely by myself metal gigs for the record, have made me feel safer than any other event I've mm, ever been to. Yeah, yeah. Completely by myself, listening to um, Lamb of God, the band, obviously, um, in these massive mosh pits with huge biker dudes without their tops on. Yep. But the second anything was wrong, the second I wanted mm. some space, people pick you up, they look after yep. you. And yeah, anytime I've been to Brixton, it's been an amazing gig. I've been on Barrier there. I love it. I think I saw A Day to Remember there. Oh, I went through a phase of loving them and I think it was one of the first times I was on Barrier for a gig and oh, uh, it's fantastic. uh, I went to Brixton uh, Academy for Judas Priest who were one of my favourite bands. Oh, wow, okay. And I got right up to see... yeah, right up close to where Richie Faulkner was. You know, it's, it's lovely when you make eye contact with a performer. Mm. It's, it's interesting that, that I, I've noticed a difference with that watching bands than when with watching actors because when, when I'm watching plays, I feel like maybe I shouldn't make eye contact with the actor because I might throw them off. But with guitarists, I'm just like, oh, yeah, you know, love like, me! Argh. You know, it's, it's a different experience, maybe just internally as a punter. You get so many people who blend it all together. Ramstein's a really good example of that. It's like watching a circus when you see Ramstein. There's, I mean, this could be a whole other conversation, but I have seen some groupies behave appallingly. It could be a fun way to wrap up the episode if we both just tell each other some funny shit that groupies have done. I'll start. (laughs) I I was on Barrier at a Green Day gig who obviously have got a very intense fan base. Yep. They've got some scary fans and they were throwing picks, right? And one didn't quite make it to the audience, yep. got dropped and a security guy picked it up. And this girl shamelessly across that barrier was like, I will suck your dick for that. <laughs> like, and mate, she meant it. Oh she God, meant yeah. it. She was proper like, what do you want me to do for that guitar pick that was held by Billy Joe Armstrong? <laughs> and I looked at him and I went, I won't suck your dick. I mean, I mean I'd like it, but I'm not doing yeah, that yeah. what sucking the dick or the pick sucking the dick yeah, yeah. i'm not doing you that you wouldn't like the okay so. no as in i'd like the guitar of it yeah Fuck i just you. wanted to uh, <laughs> just tripping you up there because oh, i am a dick dear. um a dick you can suck yourself i can suck myself <laughs> you wish <laughs> that's how i had those ribs removed yeah you're you know, not do you, do you remember that that was the rumor that everyone had about, about and Manson. our age at yeah. school <laughs> marilyn manson he had his ribs removed so yeah he it, was, suck it was complete bollocks it was yeah. never true it's just balls it's just balls. Go on, give us a funny um, groupie story. Do you know what? I don't know. I don't know if I have many funny ones. Just ones that are kind Terrifying. of a bit tragic. No. Um, oh my god, not a groupie one. We did a gig. Okay, so years ago, <laughs> years ago, we this was the weirdest gig. Okay, so years ago, we used to have two guitarists, right? Yeah. It was on a night where, for some reason, there were a lot of Morris dancers present. Now. I got chatting with the Morris dancers. Turns out most of them are thrash fans. Okay. And I was chatting to some guys like, like they're all like Slayer fans and stuff, right? So a song that we never recorded and released had a thrashy bit at the end, right? Right. Once. We were getting supported by this one band and the singer guitarist was younger than me. He had a girlfriend who was like old enough to be my grandma, right? She was the band manager. 
and there mm. was some weird sexual element. Okay, mm. so she, this she she's trashed, right? So I, I, I'll tell you what. So oh, for a second, the thing that happened. For a second, I'm so sorry. For a second, I thought you just went. She's trash. <laughs> I was like, whoa, no, 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 no. She's no. trashed as she's in drunk. Trash. She's drunk. She's pissed off her skull Fine. and off of other things. Right? I thought you were going, now, she's trash. Now, after the show, oh my God, there's so much weird stuff around this show now I think about it. But after the show, they were like, where's our money? I really, really want our money because they want to go buy drugs, right? So, so that's, <laughs> that, that was what they wanted to do. During the show, we do this splash bit. All the Morris dancers come up to the front and give it all that with their handkerchiefs and stuff, right? And they're all doing oh that with God. the bells on them. I'm like, yeah. And then this woman was trashed off her head. She had one of the Morris dancers' hats. And, and she and she runs up. She starts dancing along. She's pissed out of her skull. So she trips over one of the Morris dancers, lands face plants on the pedal board of, of Greg, the lead guitarist at the time, or, or one of the guitarists at the time. Face plants, turns the pedal off, right? And so something weird happens with the sound. And then rather than remotely trying to help her up, because I'm immediately going, like, oh, bloody <laughs> hell, you're right. And then you just watch Greg and he goes... Turn that off. <laughs> I remember a random Canadian woman turning up at one of our shows with her boyfriend who was hastily trying to get her to put her clothes back on because she was just <laughs> like, hi, guys, how are you ripping <laughs> all the clothes you? off? Let me just remove my bra. <laughs> and um, years before we started going, I was wearing leather trousers at one gig. Oh, thank you, And pardon. I came off um, one of the shows and um, there was this girl with a group of her friends um, said... Um, and I was wearing these leather trousers. They're really tight. And she says, can you just put your leg up on there? And I was like, yeah, all right. On the, on the table like this. You know, oh, my like, God. Like <laughs> yeah. Like, can you just touch the leather for me? And I was like, yeah. She's like, can you just slap it quickly? Yeah. Thanks very much. Cheers. <laughs> How fucking weird is that? Cut. Perfect. <laughs> so we hope you've enjoyed uh, Riffs and Scripts. Riffs and Scripts. Riffs and Scripts. Riffs and Scripts. <laughs> We need a football team to come and do that with us. Should we just employ a big group of people to have it written across all their chests? That is a great idea, especially for a podcast. Because <laughs> if you want to get in touch, send us a cheeky little email to riffsandscripts at gmail.com. Or you can follow our Instagram accounts on Coleridge Lord of the Flame or Amber Sava. That's S-A-V-V-A. Thank you very much. This is Cole Bryant signing off. Oh, and Amber Sava signing off. Thank you. Good night. I'm Batman. I'm not. <laughs> oh, oh, I needed that so that badly. Was, you, I could, I could see I'm like so it was, happy. it was, it was so oh. unsatisfactory for you for repeated times. And over then the, the relief, it happened. It finally happened. Go. You know, like when you've been holding in a pee for so long. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so. Um,